So we're in Matthew, and the beauty, I think, of going through a book like this is you uh, get to kind of hear teaching on things that you ordinarily wouldn't. The reverse is the same for me, is I get to teach on things that... What? Pardon? The microphone here. Oh, okay. I'm having a debate with Samsung guy. That's fine. Um, the beauty is that... Um, he's just out to get me because I've got an iPhone. There we go. Beautiful. Everything works together for good. What was I saying? Yeah, it's beautiful when you can actually share from Scripture things that you ordinarily wouldn't. This is a passage this morning in Matthew 8 that I don't think I've ever heard anybody teach on. Um, I think that's because normally people kind of pick and choose what they speak on. But as I say, like when you're preaching through the Bible, you can't just skip over passages. you kind of got to preach what's put in front of you. Um, nothing memorable comes to mind. I'm sure I've heard sermons, but not, no memorable ones. Um, so hopefully this will change that. Uh, Matthew 8, 28 to 34. Tricky passage. Um, we'll just see how we get on. Let me read it to you. You'll see what I mean. When Jesus came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Really famous story, but one that often is kind of skipped over. Probably, I mean, I get why, you know, there's kind of reference to demons and some pigs drowning. It's a bit of a kind of eventful story that might actually, it poses a lot more questions to your mind when you read that. You read the calm and the storm and you're like, oh, I get that. You know, the storms in my life, Jesus calms them. And then you've got this story, he gets off the boat. He's, he's been sleeping, he's been resting, he's been tired. He's calmed the storm. He gets off the boat and almost as soon as his feet hit the shore, we're told in Matthew that two demon-possessed men come straight up to him. In Mark and Luke's accounts, which are the same kind of parallel accounts of the same story, we're told it's one demon-possessed man. I wouldn't get majorly hung up on that. The same kind of... Uh, whether it's one or two, actually the description of the people is exactly the same, and it's the same story. But this man or men, depending on which book you're in, but because we're in Matthew, we'll say men. Um, as soon as Jesus' feet hit the shore, it's all the, they run towards where Jesus is. And they've been hanging out at the tombs. Um, they've been chained up by the locals. Um, he has, or him and his mate, uh, have been chained up. And so uh, the, pla- the tomb would be kind of the place of curse in that society as well. So it's not like living in a nice part of town. This would be kind of the worst place that you could be. And they've been chaining them up. They've been leaving them. They've just been avoiding them. No one goes that way because they're so fierce. No one wants to go near them. And yet they run towards Jesus as Jesus arrives. We know that the... Uh, that it's the area of the Gadarenes, and there's a city called uh, 
Gadara, which is near Lake Galilee, and it would be, there's pigs present, so it gives an indication that we're not in a Jewish area now. Though there would be Jews knocking around, but predominantly it would be a non-Jewish area, which is why there's, we're told in Mark 5, 2,000 pigs on the hillside. The demons spot the pigs. Jesus casts them out, casts them into the pigs. The pigs go for a swim, drown. That's the story. And you might go, oh, great. That's a really nice Sunday school story, isn't it? Um, uh, of demons and fun stuff like that. Um, and so I've got a few kind of observations, really, um, on this passage and just thoughts based on what we read in Matthew 8, but also bringing in a little bit of uh, Mark and Luke, Luke 8, Mark 5, just to help actually kind of flesh it out a little bit. Because of, the, of those three Gospels, John doesn't mention it, but of the three Gospels, Matthew's account is kind of with the least detail. And so we know it's the same story, so they just help to kind of tell the story a little bit. And I'm not going to get points for this, for stating the obvious, but my first point is that Satan and demons are real. Now, I think sometimes we live in such a way that we pretend that they're not, but you read this passage here, and I challenge you to come up with any other conclusion. He says that he meets these guys and they were demon-possessed. They had demons. It's like in black and white on the page. It's not something else that's going on. But that's, that's what they're afflicted by. And we have a spiritual realm, a supernatural realm. And increasingly, people are into this kind of thing, aren't they? The culture increasingly, people are, are looking for ways to search for the supernatural and spirituality and ways of connecting and doing strange things. But as Christians, I find, often we're kind of switched off to it. We live in such a way that the physical realm, what we can see and touch, is the only thing, yet we believe in a supernatural God. And, and there's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a kind of break there in our thinking, at least. I think as well that reflects in the way that we care for ourselves. I think we care for ourselves physically really well, don't we? We feed ourselves when we're hungry. We care for our emotional strength. We encourage one another and we try to be a blessing to one another. We try and support each other emotionally. Even now, and rightly so, mental health is getting better support than it's ever done in the past. You know, whether that's through medication or whether that's through other things that uh, doctors and, and, and others can help with. Yet, our spiritual health, we kind of neglect. We think, well, we've got physical sort, we've got all the stuff we can see and feel, but what about our souls? And I think that's what's kind of Jesus' concerned with here is what goes on in our heart. We care so much for the rest of ourselves and for the, the rest of people, their physical, emotional, mental well-being, that maybe perhaps we neglect their spiritual well-being. And what actually goes on in here? On Thursday mornings, we have uh, a prayer meeting that everybody's welcome to, 6 a.m. till about 8 a.m. And it's at my house currently, um, which is fun and games when the kids wake up, but it's okay. And um, it was about, it must have been about 10 past 6, and I was just sat kind of staring out the window, thinking about this passage on Sunday, kind of praying. And uh, I felt the Lord say to me, um, it was quite profound really, he just said, what you can see right now as you look out is a picture of what the supernatural, what it looks like, this spirit realm. And all I could see is darkness. That's all I could see. It was just black. There was just different shades of black because it was 10 past 6, you know. It's, now it's going to be you go to work in the dark, you come home in the dark. That's not far away now. And I felt the Lord say, that's actually what the supernatural realm looks like. But there's a war going on and actually there's this thing that we just don't see because our heads are in the sand that darkness is trying to take over. And yet, as the prayer meeting went on, just gently, God was reminding me, saying, your war here 
is not waged against human resources at work. It's not waged against that person at school who does your head in. It's not waged against your neighbour who wants to move the fence an inch into your land. That's not where the war is being waged. That's not where the battle is, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil. And we've got to wise up to that. And as the morning went on, it was great because obviously the sun rose. And it was a picture that actually our light can make a difference. Once we start to recognize that we're in a spiritual battle, it's only then we can start to make a difference. Jesus is well aware there's a spiritual battle going on. You see that straight away, he says, oh, two demon-possessed men came up. And the demons straight away are like, what do you want with us, Jesus? Get away from us. Jesus knows what he's doing, but also he's, he's walking in the light. And I don't say all that to put shivers on you. Um, I say it because Matthew 8 says it. I say it because it's in the Bible. And we realize, don't we, that the whole of the Bible is useful to us. Not just our favorite bits. But the whole of the Bible is there for us to be encouraged by and taught by and rebuked by and shaped by. And um, we see here, don't we, that this man or men were, were owned by demons and were causing destruction. Obviously, not only to themselves, but had done to the community as well. Hence, they've been chained up and left and just kind of abandoned. And uh, when we think about Satan, I, I think we tend to kind of... I don't want to spend too much talking about him this morning because... I don't particularly like doing that. I'd rather talk about Jesus. He's way better. Um, but we tend to kind of have one of two views, don't we? We tend to either kind of overemphasize his power, uh, and that would be people that see demons everywhere. You know, if you crash your car, you'd blame Satan. You know, I, I've met people like that. They say, oh, Satan made me do it. It's like, no, he didn't. You're just a bad driver. That, that's the reality. You, you, we can overemphasize the power that the enemy has over our life. Um, we've got to remember that all he is, is a fallen angel. That's what he is. He's a fallen angel. He's not the rival of God. He's not equal with God. He's not got the same power or authority as God. He's just a massive loser. I don't mind saying that. It's true. He is. He's a massive loser. He can't read your mind. He'd like you to think he can, but he can't. He can't be in more than one place at one time. We give him far too much credit sometimes. That's one of the ways we kind of do it. His aim, he is real, and he is a menace, and his aim is to destroy us. His aim is to steal glory from God. And what he does is he just lashes out, and he tries to cause pain and misery as long as he can along the way. The opposite danger is that we underemphasize what he's like, and we just see him as the badge on the Man United shirt. You know, horns, fork, bit of comedy like Halloween, it's all a bit of fun and games. It's not, it's dark, it's evil, it's not fun. We can underemphasize what goes on. And he is a, yes, he is a defeated enemy, but he, he's like a, a wounded beast, really. And just as a wounded beast would, they'd lash out. And that's what he's doing, and he'll try and lash out at Christians before finally being dealt with. So why do I say that? I say that because I think it helps us to understand what's going on in this passage. When we look at this and we see, well, there's some demon-possessed men going on there, it's important that we acknowledge that that's something that's real. There's something that happens today. It's just we're probably not clued up to it. It's probably that we aren't spiritually or supernaturally switched on to see it. We might call it other things, or we might just not see it at all. But with that in mind, I think it's important to realize for, from our own walk with God, because that's what I want to focus on a little bit here, is that you and only you have a responsibility for your walk with God. You have a responsibility for how you walk before the Lord. 
I can encourage from the front. We can love each other. We can be a blessing to each other. But I can't cause your lips to praise the Lord. I can't cause you to pray. I can encourage you and say, this would be really good if you put your trust in him here or you read the word of God or you do this or you do that. But only you can do that. And this guy that we meet in the passage, the demon's called Legion. We know more about the demon than we do about him. We don't know his name. We don't know if he had always lived in the region that he lived or he'd moved there. And then this happened. We don't know when this affliction started in his life. We're not told any of that detail. But what we know is at some point it did, right? At some point, this guy opened himself up to attack. And I I think I say this because we are primarily, you are primarily responsible for how you walk before the Lord. We're primarily responsible for what we say and do. And I've said this to people in church before, but what we spend our time watching, what we spend our time doing has a profound impact upon our hearts. Particularly things that are sadistic. Like horror movies, I have a massive problem with them. Why? Because they prey upon fear. Why would I want to fill my heart and my life with stuff like that? It's not going to have a positive impact upon my heart. And you might say, oh, that's just a bit over the top. I don't think so. I think we're naive if we think otherwise. That there's stuff out there that has impacts upon our hearts. Now, I remember a guy, uh, I've said this story before, I think to the youth I've said this, and um, he was in a church that I was growing up, and he watched one of these Darren Brown seance programs, you know, on like a Saturday night. And I tell you, he came to church on a Sunday and he was messed up. Seriously messed up. Why? Because he'd opened himself up to stuff that is not helpful. We are responsible for how we walk before the Lord. We're responsible for what we expose our hearts to, what we expose our souls to, things that are unhelpful. I'm not always good with this, but um, I've said this to Grace sometimes, and I kind of feel conflicted in some of the things that perhaps we watch and maybe we shouldn't watch. And I I said to Grace, I said, would I be comfortable watching this with my mum and dad in the room? If the answer's no, I probably shouldn't be watching it. That's a good little litmus test, I think. Would you watch it with your parents? If you wouldn't, turn it off. Now I know that's not kind of a hard and fast rule but actually it might be something helpful to just think about as a little kind of tester as to what's helpful to what we're exposing ourselves to and I get that wrong as much as other people for the sake of entertainment or whatever we I think we sacrifice our souls and our hearts for a quick fix don't we? Proverbs 4 tells us this guard your hearts above all guard your heart because everything that you do flows from it. We guard our, our bodies our mind our emotions, don't we? But what about our souls? There's a really good example in Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul says this, he says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And then it says this, In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So he equates there with if you go to bed when you're angry still and you haven't resolved your difference with that person, it gives the enemy a foothold in your life. That's what Paul says. That's what the word of God says. Something as we might say as trivial as anger, you know, in, compa- in comparison to the dark arts or other things that we might associate with things that are unhelpful. Paul says anger can cause a foothold for the enemy in our lives. And this is something that I try my best to try and do at home, is to try and resolve differences. We all have differences, don't we? We all have the odd Barney. 
with our partner, with our friends, whatever. Sort it out before you go to bed. Don't let it rumble on. I'll tell you why. Because bitterness, envy, malice, hatred, they wreck your heart as well. Not only is that relationship destroyed, but your heart is destroyed in the process. If we're quick to repent, quick to sort out our differences, we don't allow a foothold for the enemy in our heart. And I think that's how these things start. We just compromise in one way and we say, oh, it's all right if I'm angry. I'll leave it for tomorrow. Don't leave it for tomorrow. Even if it's 2 a.m., wake the person up say, we need to sort this out. I'm sure they'd appreciate that. It's right, though. You've got to do it. You don't want to allow a foothold for the enemy in your life. Don't give the time to it. The flip side of that and the encouragement is the challenge is to grow in holiness. And I think it's something that maybe we don't talk about as a, ch- as a church across the board enough. Holiness. The concept of walking well before the Lord. To honor the Lord. To live in such a way that pleases him. Because Satan is a liar and a deceiver and all he wants to do is lead you astray. So we have to work, in one sense, to honor the Lord. In our decision-making, well, am I going to say this? Am I going to do this? Am I going to turn to anger? Or am I going to be patient here? Am I going to be gentle? Am I going to be loving, kind, gracious? By walking in that way and walking in the fullness of the Spirit, we guard our hearts. We protect ourselves from these things that would, would like nothing more than to completely throw us off track. And one really good way of that is that anger issue is resolving differences quickly. Holding your hands up and saying, I got it wrong, quickly. If I can say one thing to you with regards to repentance, be quick to repent. Be quick to say you're sorry. Even if the other person is the one who's done all the problems, be quick to say you're sorry. For your part in it. Even if it's minimal. Don't let that get in the way. Apologize for your part. And don't say, I'm sorry, but. Just say, you know what, I got that wrong, I'm sorry. Be quick to repent because it does your heart no good whatsoever. And we want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, don't we? Right? I want to, I want to be a more patient man than I was yesterday. A more loving man than I've ever been. A more kind man than I've ever been. The only way I do that is walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Not in any other way. So we have responsibility for our own walk with God. And I think that guy, you know, the Gentile guy, the, the guy who gets demon-possessed, will have opened himself up in some way, shape, or form. And at some point, a foothold was grabbed, and it just went from there, and so on and so forth. And um, James says, you know, if we resist the devil, he flees from us. You know, if we walk in holiness, we can walk well before the Lord. And actually, these kind of things where we're seeing demonic activity, if we walk well before the Lord, will not be a problem to your heart. If you walk in the fullness of the Spirit, it's not going to affect your heart. It won't. Because he can't do anything. Where Christ is, he has no power and authority. Where Christ is proclaimed, where you're walking well in the fullness of the Spirit, there's nothing that he can do. And that's great, isn't it? That's a, a real encouragement that maybe you're thinking, oh, that's a really fearful passage. But if I walk well with the Lord, if I keep my eyes on him, if I keep honoring him, if I keep living in such a way that brings attention to heaven and glory to God, and walk in the fullness of the Spirit, I'm protected. I'll be all right. And that's great. And I thought that was really helpful, but 
the big kind of questions, the unresolved questions, I think, from the passage are still kind of there. Um, and ones that often aren't talked about, which I kind of want to touch on. And the big questions that came into my head, I don't know if you thought about these when I read that passage out, are these. How do I recognize that someone's got demons? And it's not just something else. Jesus seemed to know. Well, how, how did he know? Um, if they have, what then do I do? Right? Because Jesus seems to just go up and cast them out into pigs. What happens if there's not 2,000 pigs on a hillside? What am, what am I doing? What options do I have? And maybe it's just many of us probably have never come across stuff like this. Maybe we kind of think, oh, well, I see it in the Bible, but I've not kind of seen it in my own life. But I think that's mainly because actually we're just switched off to it, like I said before, to the supernatural realm. Actually, hundreds of thousands of people are in bondage. Hundreds of thousands of people are in chains of different kinds. And that's what the enemy loves to do. Wrap people up that they can't find Christ, that they don't know Jesus. And so the first thing that I want to say to you is for those that are saying, well, how do I recognize? How do I know? What can I do to make a difference? How can I be on the front line? Like Jesus was on the front line here of confronting the forces of darkness. How can I do that? The first thing to do is to pray. And that might seem like really schoolboy stuff, but actually it's really important. Paul tells us eagerly to desire the gifts of the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he gives this massive lift, lift, massive list of gifts. And one of them is spiritual discernment. It says this, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. So some of us will be able to speak wise words. To another, knowledge. To another, great faith. You know, there's some people that we meet, some Christians, that just have another level of faith. Do we know what I'm talking about? We'll all have those people that we see and we go, those people, or people in history and we think, Wow, they had such amazing faith. It's a gift from the Lord. We read about it here. Some people have this gift of faith. Uh, to some, the gifts of healing. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. So there's all these gifts that we talk about a lot, don't we? Healing, we hear about that prophecy. Here, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to be able to distinguish between people's motives, to be able to discern what people are thinking or where they're at. You know, there's just some Christians that you meet that just have a reading of every situation and every heart is a gift to be able to just understand where people are at and what, what's going on in people's hearts. And it's almost a prayer to say, God, I want to kind of see as you see, to have our eyes open to the reality of this realm that we might see what's really going on and once we see the darkness once we recognize it it's then that we can be bringers of light and bring change isn't it we can actually start to be intentional with what we're doing I think sometimes as Christians we're kind of wandering about aimlessly because we haven't intentionally got on our knees and intentionally said Lord will you give me uh, your spirit here that I actually can be the most effective I can be in my walk with you so I think that's what we need to do, be intentional in our prayer. And it can work on the other side as well. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me on a train once before. 2 Corinthians 2 says, um, almost the opposite, that sometimes you can discern what type of spirits are there that are not from God. And sometimes that means you can actually discern that there is stuff from God going on, that the Holy Spirit is present in someone. 2 Corinthians 2 talks about Christians carrying the aroma of Christ. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this before, but you've just met someone new. You might be chatting to, you know, you, you know, you don't know why, but you know they're a Christian. Is that just me? 
Or has that happened to somebody else? It's happened to me on the train before, which was a bit awkward. It's like you're on the train with someone like, I know you're a Christian. You know I'm a Christian, but we're not going to talk about it. You just get a sense sometimes. Is that, is that just me or has that happened to other people? Great. It happens to us, actually. We get a sense both positively and negatively. And I think that's an ability to distinguish that we're supposed to have the aroma of Christ. I don't know what was going on there with the microphone. So what that means is armed with that spiritual discernment, which we need to pray for in order to get a reading on, not a reading, that's the terrible word given the, given the topic, to get a read on people as in to understand what's going on, we need to preach the gospel. You know, it's, it's only when we're preaching the good news of Jesus, it's only when people are confronted with the cross of Christ that stuff happens. You see here what happens. Jesus goes on a missionary trip across the lake. First people he meets, first people he encounters. What's he putting before them? He's putting himself before them and saying, oh, they know he's the son of God. They know he's here and they hate his cross. They hate what's going to become because they know that they're defeated. It's in Jesus that they lose out big time. And it's really interesting as you read through, let's say you read the Gospels, you read Acts, you read some of the letters, and time and again, the demonic stuff that we see comes undone when the gospel is preached. It comes undone when Christ is put before people. It doesn't come undone when I'm put before people, but when Christ is. When Jesus' name is invoked. Because it's the name of Jesus that has power over the forces of darkness, not anything else. And Jesus here, it's, it's funny that you read in Matthew 8 that they... They come down towards Jesus. They don't hide away in the cave, but they're confronted with the Christ. And they beg him. Have you seen that? And it's the demon speaking. It's not the man. It's the demon speaking through. That's kind of freak, isn't it? But it's there. Saying, what are you going to do with us? Please have mercy on us. Those pigs over there look great. I don't want to be sent to the, the final death right now. Can you delay it, please, for at least a minute? And so Jesus sends them into the pigs, and the pigs plunge off the side of the hilltop. And the reason that stuff starts to happen, and we start seeing, I think, things change in the supernatural, is only when the gospel is preached. It's not when we just say, oh, well, I go to church, and we sing some songs. It's when we confront people with the reality that they need a saviour. That this is Jesus, this is what he's about. We start doing that, I guarantee stuff will start to happen. Because we'll, that is the only path to transformation. It's the cross that leads to transformation, not everything else. You can go to church your whole life, but if you haven't put your trust in Jesus hanging upon a cross, then what was it worth? It's the cross of Christ that transforms situations and transforms life. If you put the life-transforming message of Jesus Christ before people, you'll start to see some things. I guarantee it, because I read it in the scriptures. And we're still in that same age because Christ hasn't come back yet. So we've got to start praying for discernment and spiritual wisdom and then actually sharing the good news of Jesus. And the enemy hates it because that's actually what we're supposed to be doing. He wants us spending our time surfing the web, spending our time watching box sets. He doesn't want us on the front line of mission. He doesn't want us pushing back the forces of darkness. He wants us bound up with just other stuff. And yet here, Jesus on the front line deals with the demonic stuff going on. 
And I find it interesting here, just on a side note, that the demons know who Jesus is. You pick up on that? They say, oh, son of God. It's not enough to know he's the son of God. The demons know Jesus is the son of God. It's not enough. You've got to know he's the son of God and respond to it. You've got to put your wholehearted trust in him. And that, I think, is the heart of this passage, really. As you get to it, is yes, it's, it's a demonstration that Jesus has power uh, over physical stuff with the body. He heals the sick earlier in chapter 8. He has power over the wind and the waves and creation. But he also has power over the spiritual realm. That's the point of this passage. But the other point is, all these things are great, but how are you going to respond to him? What are you going to do? Are you going to go, oh, that's great. I'm really glad Jesus has all that power. Or do we respond to it? It's interesting in Luke chapter 10, if you want to read that at some point, this is like um, Jesus sends out a whole load of disciples uh, and they get sent out on mission. And they come back, and this is what they say. They come back rejoicing and they say, because even demons are subject to us in your name. And that's the key here. You know that um, Paul had a reputation in hell. Do we know that? We read that in the New Testament that demons knew of the Apostle Paul because so, so was he full of Christ that they recognized Jesus within him. And you've got that, that story. It's not a really cool story. It's a really disturbing story where basically the demons say, well, I've heard of Jesus. I've heard of Paul, but who are you? And the point of this and the point of the missionary journey here in Luke 10 is to say, you do not go on your own authority. So once we've prayed, once we're sharing the gospel, we're not doing it in our own name, but we're taking the name of Jesus. You do it in your own name, you're going to open yourself up to all sorts of trouble, but you do it in the name of Jesus and you'll see amazing things happen. Because Jesus wants these image-bearing people, people that are created in the image of God, to know and love him, wants people to join his family. And I suppose the point here is as well, is to never give up on people. God didn't give up on me, he hasn't given up on you. Even if you don't know him at this point, God hasn't given up on you. He wants nothing more than for you to come home and be part of his family. All we have to do is look at the guy in question today to get an idea of, of what goes on. There's a guy here who, if we put the accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, this is a description, right? You might not want this guy as your neighbor. You might have this guy as your neighbor. I don't know. Fierce. Living near the tombs. He had in the past been bound in chains by the locals, but he'd had strength to be able to break free from multiple chains. He broke shackles into pieces. Night and day by the tomb, he would cry out. He would cut himself with stones. He was naked and he regularly seized by demons. Sounds like a really nice chap, doesn't he? That is someone we would write off, isn't it? Let's be honest. That's someone we'd write off. That's someone we go, oh, they're beyond hope there. They're not. Jesus comes up and actually delivers the man. And we read from Mark and Luke's accounts that he sat at the feet of Jesus later. He was in his right mind. He was clothed, praise the Lord. And he was a new disciple. And then he went off and did mission. He started telling everybody his story. He was transformed because he'd encountered Jesus Christ. And that is who we take when we encounter these things. We take that same person, we take Jesus Christ, the same one who can transform that guy. So when we confront these things, when we come up against these things, it's in Jesus' name that we speak to it. And we say, no, in Jesus' name, be free, be set free. And obviously there's pastoral sensitivity there. 
because you don't necessarily want to go up to people and say, you've got demons. Because they might not, because you might not have discerned it very well. But when we are encountering the forces of darkness, it is in the name of Jesus that we go. And it's in the name of Jesus that transformation happens. This guy here was abandoned by his friends, his family, his town, and he was left to just destroy himself in recklessness. Absolutely abandoned. God loved him. And God went out of his way to rescue him in the person of Jesus. You might know people that are kind of like this in some way or shape or form. That you've come across people and you think, what is going on there? God loves them. God wants them in his family. God wants nothing more than to set him free. But could it be that he wants to use you to help bring that about? To be his hands and his feet on the front line. He wants us to be people that go in his name, not writing off anybody, but showing the love that God has for them. I mean, this guy here, the depths of it were that the people loved the pigs more than they loved this man. Do you get that? They loved the pigs more than this man. That's sad, isn't it? It is sad when we love pets more than humans. I know that might sound controversial. It's sad when we love Harambe more than we love other human beings. You know, we get upset about a gorilla getting it, but we don't care about the children of Iraq and Syria. That is sad, isn't it? Now, animals are important. I love animals. And we should care for our planet and we should care for them. But image bearers, those that are made in the image of Christ, we need to just love them. We need to bless them. We need to have a high value on life. You know, our society puts a very low value on life, doesn't it? It does. Oh, it's all right, it's just, it's just manslaughter, or it's just murder, or it's just abortion. We put a low value on life. We need to have a high value on life, because God has a high value on life. And this guy had just been abandoned. And we have a responsibility to not abandon people like that. It wasn't just uh, pets, though. It wasn't just animals being more important to this man. Possessions were more important to this man. 2,000 pigs on the hillside represented a significant financial investment for the herdsmen. So 2,000 pigs plunging to their death. They're short on a lot of money, as well as a lot of bacon. They're not happy because their possessions have been shattered. Get this. They don't care that this man's been set free. They only care that they've lost their money. How incredibly sad. The possessions are of more value than people. It's just a side point there though, isn't it? But in our own walk, in our own life, is the stuff we have more valuable than the people that are in our lives? Now, the fact that every Christmas, me and my family, we sit around and we're all on our smartphones or our iPads and nobody's talking to each other, kind of indicates that perhaps actually our possessions are more important than the people that are in front of us. Now, if that story is also your story, Maybe we need to start, not, I'm not saying chuck away your phone, although it might be helpful, but just stick it away, you know. Don't do anything, I'm watching you, Laurie. I can see it right there. <laughs> You're welcome to it, it doesn't work anymore, so have it. <laughs> but the people went beyond the call of duty for possessions, but not for this man who had just been left and just abandoned. We need to remember we are on a mission. We need to remember that we are light shining in the darkness and that there are people out there just waiting to hear the good news of Jesus Christ.
And we need to never lose the joy and never lose the hope that we have and the focus that we have on seeing lives transformed by Jesus. You get that emphasis in Luke 10. I'm going to kind of come into a close now. The disciples have been out on a mission. And it, out on mission, as I said before, and this is what it says. Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice that, in, do not rejoice that the demons have been cast out and that they are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what's worth rejoicing about. The biggest and best blessing we have is the fact that our names can be written in heaven. That our lives can be transformed. That'll be the ultimate blessing for many people that don't know God yet as well. That their lives can be, their names can be written in heaven. Ultimately, what this passage about is in Matthew 8, and I think what the Lord kind of wants to just convey to us is that Jesus changes lives. Any life. No matter how reckless, no matter how far gone, no matter how difficult, Jesus changes lives. And he wants you to be people that go to them. He doesn't just want them abandoned, left. Oh, that's that weird person. I don't want to see them, that one at work that nobody else talks to. I'm going to leave them abandoned and shackled up by the tomb. No, he wants us to go to them. And in Jesus' name, love them. And in Jesus' name, be a blessing to them. And in Jesus' name, pray that they would come into a relationship with him. There's these great verses, aren't there? John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Satan comes to kill us, steal our joy, and ultimately try and destroy the hope we have. Jesus comes to give us life. What would you rather? What would you rather? And that's how we respond.